Hey guys, it's Jay from Pacific Northwest Sport, and I want to thank you for taking time to listen to this interview with Coach Joseph Smith, the head coach at Linfield. You know, Coach has been over there now for 25 years, uh, involved in some sort of capacity at Linfield. Linfield has a 67-year streak of not having a losing season, so not quite half of it, uh, but more than a third of it, Coach Joseph Smith has been involved with making sure this streak doesn't end. But it's more than that. It's not sneaking by with, you know, a winning record one game over. No, it's it's consistently winning out on the conference, consistently making the playoffs. There's a lot that goes into it. But I think a stat that really is interesting is he's 156 and 28. That includes 13 Northwest Conference championships, along with 13 NCAA playoff berths. Okay. Coach as an athlete was impressive himself. He was a second team NAIA All-American in 1992. He was also a four-year starter on all those amazing Linfield teams. Langsdorf, he goes undefeated and plays in the national title in his senior season as a captain. So you really get an idea of just how competitive and the lineage of where he comes from as a player and now as a coach. I hope you guys take some time to really enjoy this podcast and just listen to the greatness that is Coach Smith. All right. I'm here with Coach Joe Smith of Linfield College. How are you doing today, Coach? Doing great, Jay. Thanks for for having me. Of course. So I wanted to say thanks for just hopping on. And um, I'm really excited to speak with you about just your history with Linfield College and just your accomplishments thus far. So one of the things I was noticing is that you've had 25 years with Linfield College. Yeah, it's been a, been a few years, that's for sure. It's gone gone pretty fast. So I, I want to get into why the school is so special, but I, I think we'll tackle that throughout this. So I guess my first thing to get to dive into everything was what was your recruiting process like for you as a player and what really sealed the deal for you to commit to Linfield? Well, I had uh, two two coaches came down and recruited me. Um, a guy named Ad Rutschman, who has uh, is, is off, got an awful big name in the in the Pacific Northwest, and probably only eclipsed by his grandson Adley, who's uh, tearing it up for the Orioles in baseball. But uh, Coach Rutschman came down and and uh, just just really impressed me right away with his authenticity. Number one, uh, but just you know, everything he did was about excellence. And, and in the eighties, you know, I think he had three national titles and played in a couple, you know, I guess they didn't lose any, but, but he was right there pretty much every, every year, right near the top of, of the nation. And, and that really spoke to me. I wanted to be part of something uh, that was, you know, bigger than, than just trying to be good. You know, I, I wanted to be part of something where the guys, wanted it as badly as I did. And I, I came out of a great program, Grants Pass High School down in, in Southern Oregon. And, and back then we were really good, but we couldn't quite o- overtake Roseburg and, and, and Medford, you know, those were the, the powers. And so, you know, I wanted to go to a place where we could play with the best. And, and I found that in Linfield. So, so he really, really spoke to me just in terms of his commitment to excellence and, and doing things the right way all the time. Um, you know, and then Jay Losey was the other guy that really recruited me there, and, and he was my position coach. And, of course, Jay Losey is a, uh, you know, Hall of Fame coach here at Linfield and down at Oregon State. And 
just a tremendous man. So, you know, those two were, were pretty impactful in my recruitment. And I, I think it paid off for them, uh, right? So, yeah, I mean, you were a stud at Linfield, I think is the easiest way to put it. You had second-team NIIA All-American 92, four-year starter, two first-team all-conference selection, finished with 16 interceptions, which is the third most in program history. What was it like playing for Linfield at that time when things were really hopping? Because I think your class had a an interesting bond because obviously you're, you're recruited by – um rushman and then you play three seasons under him and then your senior year you end up playing for langsdorf what was that like <laughs> you've done some research so uh you know that was terrible uh, the, the day that uh coach rushman decided to retire I, I was floored you know i i just couldn't understand how coach would do that to us you know as seniors but um i, I say that tongue-in-cheek I, I understand but um obviously we were really you know, as a senior class, pretty, pretty concerned about that because uh, he was just so good at what he did. However, you know, all the coaches stayed and, you know, Coach Langsdorf uh, was a tremendous head coach and, and went on to be a great scout with the NFL. And we had a guy named Wes Swan who was coaching and who's gone on to coach, you know, on the Division One level for 10 or 15 years since Linfield. And a guy named Chris Casey, who's the head coach at George Fox, you know, he was on our staff. And you know, Jay Losey, just the coaching staff was amazing. So uh, those guys were able to to take over a very talented team, and we did switch offense. You know, we went from basically Coach Rutschman's offense was a – I'd describe it as probably a, a version of the – had a little wing tee principle in it, but it, it was a little bit more um, – actually it had a lot of wing tee in it. And um, and we went from that to – to really an option attack uh, with a great option quarterback, Shannon Sells and Joe Sells now, but uh, he and a guy named Gary McGarvey. I mean, boy, we had a ton of speed, so we, we ran that triple option and and went played for a national title. So it was really a neat story where we we had to bond together as as a senior class and and ended up going all the way to the title game. And I wish we could play that game over. Uh, that game probably bothers me more than than any game in my coaching career. Although that's not true. I've got a few <laughs> that are up there now too, but um, you know, but that was a tough game. We lost to Finley, Ohio and in, in a way that I, I think we still could have beaten them, but uh, it was their day that day. So that was a, that was a, a great time though. As a, as a football team, I still pretty close with a lot of those seniors. So I want to dig into that a little bit. You mentioned how floored you were to see him retire and then the switch in the offense, which is super interesting when you switch from those types of different things, schematic point. But but on, on a player level, was that switch, were you seniors looking at it as we have unfinished business? Were you looking at it as we need to help this first-year coach? Was there a little bit of resentment almost where it's like we're going to win in spite of all the adversity we're facing? What was your mindset as a player that year? Well, we certainly weren't resentful to to Coach Rutschman retiring. I mean, he, he just he kind of needed to and, and and earned that. So there there wasn't that, but I, I would one hundred percent say it was a sense of adversity. Like, all right, this is this is uh, this is going to be difficult, and and we're not going to let the streak go on our watch, and and we're going to uh, have a great year in, in spite of this transition. And and I think we were excited, you know, on offense. I know to to try something a little different. I know those guys. Uh, really wanted to to get after it, so um, I know I know they were excited to try that option. So uh, so it really worked out well. 
you mentioned the streak. Can you explain the streak for those who may not be familiar with uh, Linfield football? Well, the, the the streak we have going right now is is quite long. It, um, when I was a senior, I believe it was at 37 is kind of what I want to think. I can remember doing a break on 37. That was 37 consecutive winning seasons in a row, which at the time was the, the longest active streak. Uh, the, the, the ones before, it, I believe, were 42 by Harvard and Notre Dame, I think. So they had streaks of 42 seasons, but they had lost that. So we had the longest active streak going. And and we've taken that 37, and shoot, we're at, we're at uh, 67 right now. So uh, yeah, 30 years nice. later, we're we're uh, we're still banging those things out. So um, you know, now we had a COVID year in there. So so I don't know, maybe my math's off because we didn't have a season in in 2000. Kind of blocked that year out. That that dang year didn't exist in my opinion. But um, you know, so anyways, uh, yeah, we're at 67 now, and and. And that's pretty remarkable. Uh, we haven't just gone five and four. You know, we've we've been able to win eighty percent of our games for for sixty seven years, and that's that's quite a mark of of continued success that I'm sure proud of. You know, and that goes back to the values that that Rutschman really set here, and, and a guy named Paul Durham before him, and and then of course Langsdorf and Losey kept those going, and and now it's my staff's turn to to keep that that going. And so your senior year after football was over, you actually earned the distinction as Linfield's Male Athlete of the Year. How did that come along? Who votes on that? What did it mean to you to be recognized? <laughs> Are you saying how in the world did they vote me that? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, Gary McGarvey was was the best player on our team, uh, in my opinion, you know, that year. He was phenomenal tailback. He's in our Hall of Fame. And and uh, Shannon Sells was was dominant uh, running that option attack, and and so it was it was uh, quite an honor for for them. That our, our actual our coaches vote for that, as well as the faculty members in, in the department. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know why they picked me. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I had a good year, and, and certainly was a was a captain on our defense and so forth. But um, but yeah, that's something I'm proud of. That, that's quite a quite an honor for all the sports to be named that. And so after that, I, I saw you went over to Oregon State University and earned a, another degree, which, by the way, go Beavers. Uh, but from from there, I noticed you started at Linfield again in 99. What was going on in that three-year gap? Well, in that three-year gap, I was, I was getting uh, kind of my master's in sports psychology, and I knew I wanted to teach. And, uh, and, uh, I got married and, and, uh, for a while I was, I was detailing cars for a while, a little bit to, to make ends meet Why my wife finished up some classes and, and I was taking classes. So, so we kind of had that time in your life where you're just scraping by trying to, to get a education in coaching. And, and I actually was coaching here during those times. So, um, I was, a those first few years I coached linebackers here and then, and then somewhere around 99, I think I moved over to D-line and I was I was coaching the D-line back then. So uh, kind of did that for a while. And then I worked back to the secondary and uh, it was it was a good learning time. You know, I was trying to figure out how to be a coach, how to recruit. Had some great uh, veteran coaches take me under their wing and, and take me on the road with them and show me how to sit down with kids and, and lay out, you know, how to talk about their their collegiate uh options and sort of what life might look like and the options that were before them and 
and try to make a case for why they why they should consider Linfield. So um, very grateful for those learning years. And, and I think if you skip that, uh, I don't know that you you. It's important to get that foundation. I really do. And and so I think most young coaches want great jobs with great responsibility right away. And it's it's hard to get. And and quite often I think you're better off uh, not getting that and and learning how to do it uh, by someone that knows how to do it. So you learn to do it the right way and avoid mistakes. But so I'm very grateful for those times. And so Jay Losey, when you when you went over there, did he reach out to you to come coach? Did you reach out to him? How how did that? How did you get into the coaching realm? Well, um, you know, I, I actually never left Linfield totally. I I, um, I started coaching in '93 and uh, coached linebackers. I'm, I'm remembering all this now, so long ago. But uh, yeah, so '93 to '96, I. I started coaching linebackers. So yes, Coach Langsdorf came to me and, and said uh, we'd like you to, to coach, uh, like you to help with recruiting. Actually, that's where it started. Uh, so my senior spring of my senior year, I helped uh, helped him recruit. Kind of went on the road, did did some talks, you know, in terms of in front of parents, like, hey, this is what a player's perspective is. Uh, this was my experience at Winfield, etc. Kind of a testimonial type of uh, experience, I guess. And so we did that, and 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 then uh, somewhere around '96, I think I started teaching classes at Linfield after I'd gotten my master's, and and that's when I kind of coached D-line from '96 to '99, and then uh, moved over and became a D coordinator in '99, and and started moved back to secondary. So Coach Losey was our D coordinator, and he moved over to offense. Is what happened? Uh, why that that opened up as the DC. I think having you as DC kind of paid off. You were there from 99 to 05. Uh, in that time, just for those who may not know, you had the number one defense in the Northwest Conference in scoring and total defense uh, four different times. You went 60 and six, made five NCAA Division three playoff appearances. You captured the 04 national title uh, over Mary Harden Baylor, and then you won or shared six Northwest Conference titles from 2005 so a real good stretch of dominance there what was that like for you as a coach well it's interesting the um linfield is we went through a little bit of a a lull um 90 you know 92 we were awesome right we played for the national title 93 we were fantastic and then we went had all these quarterback problems we, we got down to our six string quarterback if you can believe that so my first year coaching uh, we had a dominant defense, but we had no offense <laughs> down with the six. Yes. And uh, we went up to play central Washington and uh, boy, we got annihilated. They, they just were awesome. I mean, we didn't get annihilated. We lost by like seven, but we couldn't do anything on offense. Uh, that was, that was 93. And then 94, we, we uh, won the conference uh, coach Danny Langsdorf. Uh, there's a name for you. Now, Danny Langsdorf uh, was Ed Langsdorf's son and, He's a, uh, I don't even know where he's coaching. I want to say Temple right now. I think he's the offensive coordinator coach at Temple. Uh, he's been at Nebraska. He was at, at uh, Oregon State with, with Mike Riley. He's an unbelievable coach. Uh, coach at Fresno State. He's coached everywhere. Uh, he's coached in the NFL. Coached uh, Eli Manning with the Giants. Uh, so, so Danny is a, is a great coach, but he was also a very good quarterback. And so uh, he was our quarterback in 94. And so we were at the top of the of the heap. And then he, he, uh, he got hurt in 95, uh, got his pec ripped apart, uh, off of it, actually detached from his chest. 
uh, and our season just plummeted. So we went from a great team in 94 to a, to a, a starting off as a great team in 95. And then, and then we lost our all everything quarterback. So we finished probably like third in the conference or something, which was unheard of. Right. And then, and then we hit a lull. So uh, 96, we weren't very good. Uh, we scraped uh, 97. We weren't very good. We scraped by. And, uh, and then uh, same with wherever I am at 98, but it's finally around 2000. Okay. Uh, Coach Jay Losey kind of took over our offense and we, we, I went over to defense and we exploded. And from 2000 to, to 2006, we were the, you know, one that won to share of the league title every year. And, and, and I think we were just really dominant. We, we had a great passing attack, uh, kind of changed our offense a little bit. And, uh, and our defense was dominant. As, as you mentioned, I had, I had some tremendous, tremendously physical uh, defenses in, in those years. Uh, very, very big up front. Big and fast is a good combination on defense. And uh, if you can be big and fast, that's, that's pretty good in, in a lot of positions. And, and we really were. Um, a couple of those teams were I, – I thought we had a national title team in 02. Uh, we, we ended up having – we lost a game. We had five turnovers on offense and, and just a strange – one of them was a, a, the running back fumbled scoring the football. He hit the referee on the one-yard line and fumbled. Okay, going in to score, the referee caused the fumble, and that's why we lost. So, I mean, that's a terrible loss in 02, <laughs> and, and that was one of our better teams. Uh, we had a great team in 02. 03, we were again right there. I thought we had a national caliber team. We lost to uh, St. John's, who ended up winning the title that year by three. Uh, so we were really close to winning the whole thing in 02, really close in 03. Of course, we won it in 04. 05, I think we would have won it again, but uh, a team called Whitewater came and beat us in a shootout. Uh, you know, so those were four just incredible years uh, where I thought we were at the top of the of the of the pyramid, so to speak, at, at Division Three, and those were some good teams. And so you got the head coach nod in 06. Was it just a secession plan and they knew, like, all right, we're going to hand it off over here to Joe? Did you have to apply? What was that like to become the head coach? Well, I think just as you saw at Oregon State, I think things move fast, right? And, and if a program's been good, they typically want to keep it within the coaching tree uh, because, obviously, the values and the – the way of doing things are going to remain the same. And, and yes, you're going to change some things, but you're going to build on that, on that foundation. And, and plus the players are familiar with the coach. And so you're not going to have players leave. And so I think it's really important to, to make those decisions fast. So um, coach Jay Losey got a chance to go down and coach with Mike Riley down at Oregon state. So he, he left and, and within a, maybe a day of him telling them I, I was made the coach at, at Linfield by, by Scott Carnahan. So um, I don't know if it was a plan, but, but uh, our athletic director definitely wanted to keep it within, within the coaching tree, so to speak, and, and keep the Linfield way of doing things uh, consistent. So went pretty fast. Worked out pretty well. Uh, you have 12 coach of the years since then. So <laughs> think, think the right decision was made. What was the emotion like for you when you found out you were going to be that coach? Did you have time to react or were you like, oh, all right, on to the next thing? In, in all fairness, it was pretty fast. I, I, I remember uh, being pretty shocked uh, when, when Coach Losey told us he was leaving. Uh, he didn't 
necessarily want to, but felt he needed to. And, and, uh, and I, I just really felt like it was the right thing to do. I, I knew, I guess I knew intellectually that, that, that was the right move. Um, and, and, I, and, you know, not out of, you know, a sense of you know ego or anything like that. I just, I just knew that was probably the right move at the time. And, and it was something that I needed to do for Linfield. You know, I'm pretty loyal to Linfield. I went, went here, right. I love the place. So felt like that was the thing I needed to do. And, and, uh, and I, you know, it was a little bit surreal, I guess, like, okay, I guess it's, it's my turn to do this now and let's go. So I had some great coaches on staff, a guy named Jim Nagel. That's a amazing, uh, quarterback guru in the state of Oregon. He's in every, should be in every hall of fame. I'm not sure. I haven't checked, but he should be. His Ashland teams were unbelievable. You want to look at a, a dominant football program in the state of Oregon, his 80 and 90, those era 80s and 90s uh, Ashland football teams, they were tiny, and yet they were winning state titles against the best teams in the state. And it was because of Jim Nagel and his his forward-thinking passing attack. So uh, our offense today probably has 70% of Jim Nagel's horizontal stretch philosophy still in them. Uh, so he 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 came and coached with us kind of on those those oh four oh five teams and and stayed with us uh, for quite some time and so I owe a lot to him and then of course Jackson Vaughn's been been my D coordinator you know he and I've coached together for twenty five years so um, he's he's quite a quite a defensive coach. Was there any challenges you had when you were transitioning to head coach from a coordinator position, realizing there's a bigger picture you have to look at now? Absolutely. And what was one of your, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't believe all position coaches make good coordinators. It's a different skill set. It, it truly is. Uh, you know, a position coach needs to be relationship oriented with his players, needs to be a, a gunnery sergeant, for lack of a better term, in terms of teaching the actual techniques at that position. Whereas a coordinator needs to be um, removed a little bit from the, the, fray and and needs to think a little bit bigger picture um and then i think the same trend could be said for a head coach i don't think all good all coordinators make good head coaches in fact i think that's quite obvious when you look at why why some guys fail they just don't have the whatever's needed and i i think i think a head coaching job is is less scheme and now it's back to much more relationship you know it's almost closer to a position coach in terms of now now it's about recruiting it's about relationships it's about team building it's about developing young men in your program and and making them be the best versions of themselves and i I think good coaches do that good head coaches do that better than average ones and and, um and and so i think that was my biggest transition I, i i uh really loved being a defensive coordinator that was probably my favorite thing i've done um, in coaching. And, and when I became the head coach, I, I took one year actually, and sort of was the D coordinator, even though I gave coach Vaughn the title and, and trained him and he and, and Neil Fendel to kind of take over for me. So we took a year of transition to sort of exit myself out of that. And, uh, and then I moved over to offense. And so since that time I'd been, co- I've been coaching offense, uh, since I guess, Oh, seven, uh, the second year as a head coach. And, and then I eventually took over for um, for Jim Nagel as as the offensive coordinator. You know, I gave myself I'm not sure how many years I could go back and look. Maybe it's five or six or something like that to really learn 
uh, play calling from the offensive standpoint and, and the system that I wanted to, to employ. And, and, uh, and then, you know, was a coordinator there for a while. And then, and then now I have Brett Elliott, who's, who's really doing the, the offensive coordinating and, and he's doing a great job, but the biggest challenge for me was just moving to looking at everything, uh, the, the student achievement, um, you know, being involved in, in making sure kids are eligible, uh, you know, looking at our weight programs, looking at everything that touches our players. And I think uh, you need to do that to make sure that there's, you know, positive growth in every facet of the program because uh, you can't neglect any of it. So. That's great. And so what were you telling recruits and players when that transition took over and you were the head coach the next day was there any wavering from any of those people of like uh what's going on or was everyone still committed to linfield and they were ready to go that's a good point uh i don't know like that that's that's so long ago i, I can't remember that's a good question um i don't really remember needing to to do it that much um but you know what? That was that was. I don't even sure if cell phones were were around back then. They were just getting going, right? So, um, you know, in those two thousand era of that decade, I mean, you're still calling parents on the on the parent landline, and it's a different world. You know, today you're calling kids or texting kids, and so there's much more uh, contact, I guess, or direct contact. Whereas uh, in that time, it was much more difficult to to call. You know, you'd leave a message on the on the voicemail as much as anything. So um, I don't know. I, I'm sure there was some of that. Uh, I'm sure we called all of our top recruits and let them know, hey, everything's good. Everything's going to be fine. Um, I'm trying to remember when when that even took place. I, I sort of feel like it took place after recruiting. I think you're right. I think it took place kind of late in the spring. And, and I do think we just were able to call the, you know, 20, 30 kids that, we had signed up and and let them know everything's gonna be okay. We're we got a good plan going forward. So your first year as a head coach, you finished six and three. How are you able to maintain that consistency of a program that hasn't had a losing season in sixty seven years? How do you maintain that from a big picture of making sure? Uh, I mean, at, at at some places, and I think Linfield's one of those losing isn't really an option like you you know you're expected to win day in and day out absolutely well you know a good example is, is that that 06 year we went six and three and and the year before we were the year the prior two years we won the national title and we got upset uh by whitewater i think we were number one or two in the country when we lost in in 05 and in all fairness, in 06, we just weren't as good. Um, we we had some. Uh, we just weren't as good, and and we we had problems with turnovers. Uh, I thought we had a little entitlement in the program that had kind of creeped in. Uh, obviously, I wasn't as good a head coach. I, mean, I think that there's, you just can't get away from that. I mean, Jay was awesome. You know, he'd been a head coach for ten years, and, and you know, ish, and and uh, I think you really hit your mark pretty much in anything you do around year 10. I don't care if it's playing the trumpet or the guitar or learning the bagpipes or, or doing podcasts, you know, about year 10, you're, you're going to hit your stride typically in terms of really getting proficient at what you're doing. So, um, so, so I, I would love to go back and redo 06 and 07. I think we had some good teams, but 
we went six and three and oh six and that was a failure I mean, that was a terrible year around here like you, you say that and i'm not happy about six and three i mean six and three might as well be one and eight you know here and and, and uh you know same with the the next year and and uh, i think the following year we were seven and two if i'm not mistaken so we kind of had three years that were pretty very very average or below average for us and 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 we had problems with turnovers and we had problems with with uh just a little bit of entitlement and, and it, it took me a while to to root that out and, and we we actually got rid of a few kids in the program we we uh, made a major emphasis on on protecting the football and 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 uh, ball security i know that sounds trite but uh but in 09 we led the country in, in turnover ratio and we went to the semifinals so uh, there's there's a direct correlation with that and now we also had an all-American quarterback in 09. So so we had we had more talent and we, we took care of the football. And that's a magic recipe for for winning games is take care of the football and have a lot of talent. And but how do you do it year in, year out? I think to it's about maximizing the talent in a system. Okay? There's only so much talent ever in a system. And and how do you maximize that talent and/or resources? So you you either have to find a way to bring in more talent or you have to develop that talent at a higher rate than you're than your opponents and sometimes you can bring in more talent and start with an advantage and other times i think you have to to get the most out of the talent that's in it and, and maximize that so getting every player in the program as big strong and fast technically proficient at their fundamentals and then certainly understanding their schematics so well that you can do advanced decision making under pressure and so you know those are the things that really lead to wins on the field is making advanced decisions under pressure performing with great velocity acceleration and power in an efficient way right with your technique and and you do that enough and you string enough of those plays together well that's how you win and so uh you know that that's really what we're trying to do is is see how many plays we can be great on with technique fundamentals and assignments and and if we do the preparation in the off season and and develop the horsepower and, and the velocity and the speed that we need then it's a matter of our technique and a matter of just going out and competing. And then at some point you got to get lucky. You got to have some breaks go your way too. Um, so. You mentioned talent and you mentioned system. And those are really interesting to me because when you're recruiting, I, I guess this really feeds into it. Are you looking for the most talented guys knowing that you have full confidence in your coaching staff that you can make the pieces fit? Or are you looking for a guy who sure he may not be, you know, the best quarterback or the best whatever, but he's going to be great in your system. Therefore, the system runs itself almost. Well, I, I, I appreciate the question because I think that's two, two philosophies. And I think you see programs do, do either of those. Um, I think if you're tied to, let's say, an extreme example like Air Force, uh, where you're going to run that double slot option offense and we're going to, okay, well, then you need to probably recruit to that system because it does kids, kids are better. There's just some uniqueness about that system. And, and there's the quarterback play, even the running backs and the wings, like they are those, those kind of four skill positions, the fullback, the quarterback, and the two wings are going to be a, a certain style of player. You're not going to put a, you just are. And so I think you got to, recruit to that um we would be the first thing you said I, I want the best players we can possibly find that have the high character that we're looking for so i want kids that number one love football 
If they don't love football, Jay, I don't want them. It, it, let's just stop now. If you don't love football, then let's let's quit talking. And so they got to love it because if they love it, I'm not having to make them go lift, make them have to do stuff. I don't want to make kids do stuff. I want kids to want to do it. And if they love it, then they're going to want to do it. So they got to love football uh, because college football is so much more preparation than it is playing. High school football, is, the ratio is a lot more play to practice. College is a lot more practice and prepare and train than it is playing. Like it's it's just a crazy ratio. So, so we got to have kids that love football. And then yes, we want character, and then we want talent. And and we can't start with the talent because if they don't love football and they don't have character, then the talent's going to hurt us. You know, the kid's going to hurt us. So, um, so that's kind of the order we're looking for. But I want kids with great talent, and then we will fit the scheme around them. So, yes. So you're willing to adapt the scheme and have it develop as you get in those talented guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a, you know, we need the best. Now it's hard, right? I mean, how much do you change the system for one kid? They better be really good to do that <laughs> and, and really warrant that. And, but we've had teams that are much more run based oriented. We've had teams that are much more throw it oriented. We've had a more option running style quarterback play, and we've had more uh, pocket pocket play so um you know in 09 to 011 uh aaron bomey was was an unbelievable runner now he could pass and run so he was he was unreal so he's an all-american for us right so he he could do everything but we had a lot more option in our system for him and then in uh in uh the next two years i guess 11 and 12 uh mickey ends was a was also an all-american for us but he was a pocket passer he didn't want to run at all so i mean he did not want to run, so he's going to sit in the pocket, take hits, and stand in there and throw under pressure, and, and he was awesome at it. And so we changed our offense, you know, greatly for him. Well, then in 13, when Mickey was done, we had another All-American quarterback, and he, he was a he was a uh, beast, 6'4", uh, six, six, probably about 225, kid from Canby, uh, and, and All-American, and, and boy, Mr. Yoder could run, and he could throw the ball a mile, but he wasn't. He wasn't necessarily a drop back uh, precision, precision, you know, system passer. He was a shot guy that could run. And so we wanted to get him out of the pocket, let him run and throw. And, and he was prolific at it. So, you know, all those offenses were 50 point offenses, but just doing it different. And so I think you have to build the offense around the quarterback and what he can do. And then of course your tailbacks and your receivers. So. So you mentioned when you're looking for recruits, you know, one of the things maybe the most important beyond character is they love football. How do you as a coach know that someone loves football? What's something that when you're watching tape, you go, yeah, that kid loves it. Or is it something where you have to talk to the kid and you really have to know, like, all right, we got to talk a little bit to make sure your your uh, what you're saying is actually coming through. Yeah, I don't know how you can see it on film. I guess maybe you can sometimes, but with huddle, I don't know that you can. You almost see that stuff more in the break, huddle breaks or, you know, the the transition from the field on, you know, on and off the field, things like that. But um, I've seen plenty of kids that I thought loved football that once we sat out and, and did an interview and spent time with them, obviously they didn't. And, and it's something I flat ask them too. Like, you got to tell me, like, how much do you love this? You know, or, well, I really like track and I like, okay, well, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if, there's, if there's several other things that are right there with football, okay, you don't really love football. I mean, football needs to be your thing you know, that you love and, and you can't wait to do it. And, and so that's, I think it's an interview and I think it's spending time with them for sure. That's, that's a good point. And, and also recommendations. I mean, I, you know, I think we, we rely still in football so much on talking to the high school coaches and, 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 and in all fairness, that's probably the, the single biggest thing that helps us weed kids out or help us get excited about kids is, is a personal recommendation from a coach we know and, and that we trust. And so, you know, as uh, long as I've been here, you know, the coaches that send you good guys and you know, the coaches that don't. And, and so you know who to trust in terms of their evaluations and, and what type, type of kids they're turning out. Um, that says a lot. And so I think continually recruiting the same area really helps because the, the coaches get to know the individual recruiters and then the recruiters get to know the coaches. And, and I think it helps both sides immensely. So, so I really believe in continuity and recruiting areas. Uh, so that you can develop those relationships with the coaches to get the recommendations that you're talking about. So you mentioned, you know, some coaches who are going to send you some, uh, some mixed reviews and, you know, some guys who are spot on with their, with their reviews in the past, if you've been scorned on a guy where you're like, dude, this was, this was not what, uh, what I was told. How do you trust the next player they're sending to you, or do you have to look into it a little bit deeper to make sure this is really a guy? I think that's that's the case. I think we just want to look in a little deeper and 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 you know spend a little more time with them and and see if in fact that that holds true. Yeah. Okay. So you know, since you've taken over, you are 156 and 28 in your win loss record. It includes 13 Northwest Conference uh, championships and 13 NCAA berths. You're 105 and six in conference play. You know you talked about entitlement. Sometimes when you're expected to win and you haven't lost to a conference opponent in 20 years, whatever it may be, the team can start to overlook that a little bit. Clearly, your your record does not indicate that's happened many times. So how are you as a coaching staff? making sure that, hey, we're not overlooking these guys, even if they're winless. Right. Well, um, you know, I, I've been on, I was on ESPN one time for this, they asked me the exact same question you did. So uh, good question. Um, and I, I think it's it's 100% about you. And and what we're trying to do here is is continually talk about development. And, and I really try to get our guys to judge our, our performance, if you will, and measure it on a, on a not on outcome. So not, not on the scoreboard and not win loss, but really on the quality of our performance. And so what they call self-referent measure of performance. And, and, and I, so, so did we play up to our potential? Did we play well relative to what we could have done? And if we did, then I, then I'll take the win or loss. You know what I mean? If we didn't, then, then you leave upset whether we won or lost again. Now, certainly uh, I like winning a lot more than losing, you know, uh, without question. I hate to lose, you know, there's no question about that. Um, but I also really want our guys to play up to their potential. So as long as we're talking about that all the time and we're trying to develop to the point where we could stand before the best in the country and be measured and, and the best in the country, they just look different than the teams we're playing out here they just do uh they're bigger stronger and faster and 
better looking in their uniforms and and they got more guys that look like the 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 model at dick sporting goods you know that has got that uniform on them i mean there's more there's more uh muscles right and, and the guys just are bigger and and they're faster and so um you know we we have to develop to the point where we can go toe to toe with those kids from texas because the kids in texas can flat run and they're physical and we got to be able to stand before the, the big boys in the midwest because they're bigger they're going to be bigger than everybody else just like they are at the at the division one level they're the biggest kids in the country and they they will push you around if you don't have the the mechanics to stand that or just enough horsepower etc so um you know those are the teams that we're trying to impress upon our guys you know each week like hey that's what we're building towards we're building to to the point where you know yes we have a game today but we need to use this game to get better so that we can stand before these great teams that we know are coming down the road and and uh so i think that's helped us maintain our 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 consistency and our continuity for building your program up and finding that consistency and continuity how are you finding these kids are do you have coaches who are going out and looking and you know looking at regions are you relying a lot on these kids to get a hold of you through the website how are you banking on that well it's, it's honestly it's a lot of work so no we're not counting on kids reaching out to us yes that happens a little bit it does i think the more you're on tv the more that you win the more you're in the paper yes kids reach out to you um, kids i think kids that want to be part of something excellent are attracted by excellence you know they want to be around other people that are successful so uh, they're, you know, successful kids are going to be attracted to other successful places and they're going to be leery of going to a place that's in a rebuilding mode year every year. Right. So, so I think that's part of it, but mostly we, we have coaches that all have an area. And, and, and so for instance, you know, I was in 72 high schools last year, you know, in Oregon. So uh, I'll be in the same amount this year, you know, within, you know, plus or minus 10. And I, I have coaches that go up to Washington. We, we kind of hit the Washington schools. We hit Oregon. We hit uh, Northern California, kind of do all that in person. And then we, we send coaches to Hawaii as well. So those are really the, the four Western states that we put boots in the ground, for lack of a better term, uh, in the schools, uh, meet the kids there in the, in the schools, size them up, get in front of them, shake their hand, talk about Linfield. And then if and then we go back and watch all their films. And, and while we're there, of course, we talk to the coaches about them and answer some of the questions you and I had just mentioned. And if all that's a go, then we watch the film. And if we like them, then we get back in touch and say, hey, this is a good fit for us. Now, you've got to decide if we're a good fit for you. And and if we are, then let's let's come to a game day visit in the fall. And then they so they come in the fall. And we had, you know, f uh, 40 kids probably at every game this fall. And then um our home games and then uh after the season's over we start our official visits so we we're starting those this friday and so now kids come and spend the night and meet the players and we meet the parents and spend as much time as we can with them to help them get a a great feel if this is the best place for them because i only want kids coming here if, if they're convinced it's the best place for them if they're not then then they need to go where where they're convinced is the best place for them to grow and develop and I don't want kids to come here and be unhappy. So we don't really try to talk kids into coming. We, we really just try to say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. This is what it's going to be like if you're to come here. And do you like it? <laughs> if they do, then all right, let's do it. You know? So that's that's really kind of our, our approach. Amazing. So consistency's worked out. You you Your legacy speaks for itself. You have 156 career coaching victories. 
second all-time at Linfield. I did the math for you. So you're behind by about 26 games to add <laughs> Rushman. If you go undefeated and win the next two national titles, you'll be a perfect 26-0, and 0, meaning you'll have matched him. Coach, what do you think? I mean, you've been coaching for a long time. Clearly, you still have more years left in you. But how many more do you think? We got 10, 15 more years, or we coach till the wheels fall off? What do you think? <laughs> well, the wheels are never falling off. So uh, <laughs> they're not falling off here. I mean, they might fall off of me, but the, the wheels aren't falling off at Linfield. Uh, I will make sure that never happens. Um, the, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, no, I, I got a coach for quite a while. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't have enough money. So I, I got to work, uh, work, you know, I, I just put three kids through college. So, um, so my youngest finally just graduated. So we're, we're, uh, finally through with, with, uh, college tuition and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's exciting, but, uh, no, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold, but, but, uh, absolutely. I, I love this place and we're going to keep coaching until, till they tell me to leave or, or I don't think I can do it well anymore, you know? So, um, if that day comes, then yeah, I'll, I'll step down and let someone else do it better than I. Well, and speaking of your children, I know your daughter graduated from Carroll college, I believe I was seeing, and then your yeah. two sons both played for you at the collegiate level over here. It says why it was an all American quarterback, uh, two years in a row, believe in 2022 he was your team mvp two years in a row and then your youngest son colton uh completed a senior year last season uh over at linfield as wide receiver what's it been like coaching those guys and having that extended time well it was it was quite uh you know honestly it was, it was awesome um it's hard hard to put into words and, and certainly um you know made made it pretty special and unique for me uh, you know josie my daughter uh you know, didn't want to date one of my football players, you know, so, so she would have probably been a wildcat, but she, she didn't want to, want to have that relationship, you know, <laughs> so she went to, to Carol and, and, uh, real proud of her. She's doing great, but she's the world's number one wildcat fan. So she, she's awesome. Any good coach's daughter will be right. So, uh, she still watches every game and follows it like crazy, but, uh, the, uh, but Wyatt, you know, was, was, you know, really, really, pretty amazing for us a quarterback and, and that was that was quite a story he, he came and had had a lot of opportunities to play other places but he wanted to play baseball too so some of the the larger schools that wanted him to play football weren't going to let him play baseball so Linfield allowed him to play both and and uh, I was very anxious to to have him play here because I knew he'd be good and uh, and then he was thrust into a starting spot as a freshman so kind of late in the year we had some quarterback difficulties and a couple injuries and and he came in and kind of saved our season and and we ended up being pretty good we won a couple games that year and beat a top five team in the country uh, i was really very proud of that from texas and and then we ran into mayor harden baylor who who won the national title that year so they they knocked us out that year but so he had a great you know that was pretty special and then 18 we were down a little bit talent wise at some of the receiver spots and and so we didn't have as much firepower in the in the in the gun that year, but I thought we had a good solid year. And then Brett came in and he and Aaron Bomey, I kind of made them co-coordinators and boy, the offense took off, uh, that, that 2019 year, uh, we led the country in passing. And so we were the number one passing offense in the country and, and we were slinging it all over the place. And I, th I thought why it was just devastating that year. And, and Colton was a freshman. So my, um, so Colton at, at, through that time had, 
had a whole bunch of offers at FCS schools and, 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 uh, looked like he, you know, he led the state in Oregon and passing and receiving. So I didn't think we were going to get him. And then, uh, it just kind of worked out that financially it was better for him to come here as, and then he wanted to play with his brother. And so we kind of thought, well, let's come. And if you want to transfer after a year or two, go ahead, you know, but let's give it a shot. So he jumped on the scene and he ended up being kind of our number one option that year and was pretty much uncoverable. He had a phenomenal freshman year and, and uh, tore it up. And he with uh, that receiving core was pretty, pretty special that year in uh, 19. And then, then COVID hit and we had this weird pause, right? We didn't play any games in 2020. Uh, it was terrible. But what we did is we practiced for 22 weeks. Okay? We practiced for 12 weeks in the fall and 10 weeks in the spring. And we got better. And uh, I rebuilt the whole receiving core because really all the receivers left off that or graduated off that 19 team except for Colton. So we had him back, but he was hurt. He'd gotten hurt and he he really was struggling with his legs. So we had to rebuild the the receiving core. And I used that time to really get that going. And And then, gosh, the 2021 team was – arguably probably my my strongest team that I've fielded in my opinion and uh we really were a good football team now we ended up losing to Merhart and Baylor who again won the national title but um man we threw for 400 yards on that that defense and scored more points in one game than they'd given up I think in seven or eight you know combined so I was really proud of our guys that year and that was a fun special team and and so those guys were a big part of that um Having Wyatt graduate, you know, obviously was was uh, Blake Eaton stepped in and did a great job, and Colton was able to play the last couple of years, and and I think he finished, you know, Wyatt finishes kind of number one in most categories. Him and Brett Elliott passing wise, and and Colton's uh, I think second and third in a bunch of receiving ones. So it's been it's been pretty special and and quite surreal in some ways uh, for me as as a dad and a go and a coach. So. That's great. So what was it like watching them throw and catch with each other? Were you just like, yeah, I've been watching that since Little League. Uh, I, know. I mean, there's a lot of time in the street uh, and in our house. You know, I, I, we had this couch in our living room that was completely destroyed. Like it had two by fours in the frame and they were all broken when I got <laughs> rid of that uh, from all the diving catches on the couch. And, and so those two spent a lot of time throwing together. And that was that was pretty neat to watch them play with one another now. You know, they'd argue about this pass wasn't perfect or, you know, you weren't open or whatever, like like brothers do. But uh, but that was pretty fun, fun to watch. Yeah. Great. Well, I don't want to take up too much time. I got five questions to end that we like to ask everybody if you have time for them. Sure. Sure. All right. So first one is you're at a gas station. You're going to go on a super long road trip here. What's your go-to snack and drink for the road trip? Oh, no question. Uh, it's going to be a... a the biggest Pepsi or Coke they can find, I'd prefer Coke, although maybe I'd prefer Pepsi now or RC. But uh, And then, uh, for sure, sunflower seeds. Uh, give me some sunflower seeds and some sort of cola, and I'm good to go. Now, is there a certain flavor? Is there a certain brand <laughs> of sunflower seeds? You know, uh, I was a David guy forever. Now, I coached baseball for a long time, right? So, sunflower seeds are going to be are gonna be your thing if you coach yeah. baseball. So I was a big David guy, but I, I do like the spits uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I love the black pepper. You know, I, I like those. It's probably my favorite. You can't beat it. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? Oof. I got to go with Bo Jackson. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth, hard, hard to get away from with his dominance. Uh, 
Lester Hayes was kind of my idol growing up as a, as a young player uh, in football. Ricky Henderson was kind of my idol in baseball. Uh, I do like Magic Johnson and, and I got lots, right. And, and Michael Jordan, but, but there's no been nobody on the face of this earth that could do the stuff that Bo Jackson did and uh, football and baseball. He was pretty remarkable. So I'd have to go with Bo. What's your favorite time of the year besides football season? <laughs> Is there any other time? I mean, it's it's football <laughs> season and then the rest of the time, right? Um, I, obviously, for a football coach, it's football season and then it's July. And, and July is sort of the month that most coaches take off. Uh, so that's going to be your your time that you're boating or camping. And I love to to boat down on Lake Shasta. That's, that's kind of our family's place. Um, so I'm a big big water recreation guy all right what's your favorite sports team at the high school college and pro level but here's the thing you can't pick anywhere you've played or anywhere that your kids are at although i'll, I'll give you a pass on college if you want to go with carol but uh <laughs> what, not, what, are, what are they <laughs> uh you mean i got to do one of each you oh, said yeah one one high school one college one pro oh goodness uh well um high school huh? uh well i've been rooting for uh well shoot i gotta i gotta be see i gotta be politically correct on the high school i can't it's hard for me to judge call out a high school right with, with all the coaches we have everywhere um you got jim but, nagel uh, over at ashland for a couple of years well, yes but he's long since retired there um you know I, i've got kind of a a special place for West Albany high school there, you know, we've got, got an alumni down there and, and uh, I, I like their little program. I mean, I, I like that place, uh, West Albany Bulldogs. Um, the uh, college, uh, you know, I've been a, I've been a big Beaver supporter. I, I like the Beavers. I got a lot of respect for what they do. Um, so we'll go with the Beavers and then uh, pros, you know, the Raiders have been my team since I was a kid. Oakland Raiders, but now they're the Vegas Raiders, and they they went from having a commitment of excellence to being a great program to just breaking their fans' hearts for ten years of just being terrible at what they do. So it's hard to support the Raiders anymore. But you know, out of loyalty, I guess I got to go with them, but begrudgingly. I, I will say I do have a Seahawks uniform here. Uh, I I do root for them, but I actually am a diehard Raider. If you saw the rest of this room, it's it's decked out in Raider stuff. So I understand the pain there. Uh, fired Josh McDaniels. Uh, happy about it now. It's interesting. Yeah, honestly, I am too. I, I thought he was – but what coach has been good for them lately? I mean, good Lord. They've just yeah. had a terrible run of mediocrity. So, I mean, Gruden was their guy, and he, was, he had them winning, and he was good. Yeah. Things happen. Well, uh, the last question, uh, this one. So are you a country music fan at all? I am. Okay. So Luke Combs been taking over the world the past six years. So he has a song called doing this and it opens up and it just goes, someone asked me once in an interview, what was growing up? Like, where'd you go to school? And what would you do if you weren't doing this? So my question to you is if you weren't a coach, if you weren't being successful over there at Linfield, what would you be doing right now? Well, I always I grew up wanting to be uh, Indiana Jones and being an archaeologist. So that that was one of the things I thought I would do. Uh, I have quite the the uh, artifact collections of antiquity, etc. That I kind of grew up 
looking for and exploring and stuff like that. So that's probably what I'd be. I'd, I'd probably be uh, probably be an archaeologist. That is awesome. 